What's going on, mere mortals? Welcome to another book review, and I hope you're having an amazing, fantastic day. And just want to thank you right at the start here for for tuning into another book review. If you do enjoy these, actually, if you could leave a comment on the YouTube channel if you're watching there, or if you're on iTunes, leaving a, a review on there would be absolutely fantastic. But other than that, I'm gonna get straight into it. So today, I have the book for you, The Age of Innocence by Edith Wharton. Now, this book was published in 1920, and It was initially serialized in four parts, which is what occurred a lot with books uh, in those days, before then being quickly published in the same year in in 1920. Uh, This book won the 1921 Pulitzer Prize, so it was recognized very quickly on as being an important work and was actually a little fun fact here, one of the, she was the first female to actually win the Pulitzer Prize. And that sort of talks a little bit, I would guess, about what the book was uh, with the themes regarding women and also the times they were living in uh, regarding social class. So the book is set in the 1870s and is in the upper class of the New York scene in the Gilded Age. So this was the age where essentially America was prospering, people were coming over in droves, uh, immigrating to America, and there was just this huge influx of wealth into the country. And so there was a I guess like a sudden rise of the New York social scene, which compared itself to the European, so like the French uh, aristocracy and and things like that. So it was a, the book is mostly about the social interactions of these people and the love triangle between the three main characters, which is Newland Archer a uh, and his soon-to-be wife, Mae Welland, and then her mysterious cousin, um, Ellen Olenska or Countess Ellen. The book, I guess, uh, revolves around these three and, and treats of Archer's discontentment with his his own mar- impending marriage and eventual marriage to to May, who, while it she she is a great person, he doesn't feel that intense love. Whereas with Ellen, he gets this immediate reaction with her and wants and this desire to be with her, but it also has to be tempered with his obligations to his family, his social class, her her um, imminent divorce or potential divorce as well from her husband and the implications that would arouse in the whole network of intermingling, almost incestuous family relations that they have. So that gets me right onto the themes of the book and social class is the predominant one in this book. Almost all of the actions that are taken by characters are dictated based on the obligations that are inherent in the in their class and i'll talk a little bit about the obligations in in a second but just because someone is of a certain social class really doesn't make them better or worse and you can see this with many of the characters behaving in extremely ambiguous ways in unethical ways but there is this overriding feeling that we're of this class we are the archers we are the the wellens we don't behave in this way and so you see in the book that many of the characters i guess try and like justify themselves and their family through uh, even though they're taking negative actions or or behaving badly they they'll either just be like well no but we don't really do these sorts of things so therefore they don't exist in our class and so it's just like the absurdity in covering up scandals. So 
you know, this lady is going to, to marry him, but her connection with this guy is uh, a little bit dubious and she was seen spotted, uh, her carriage was spotted outside of his place when, and it just goes on and on and they get deep into these intricacies and they're, all their actions are dictated about, can I invite this person to this social gathering? Is this person acceptable or have they, they're influenced with the whatever family of importance? That sort of means I need to invite them, but personally, I don't really like them. And it just goes on and on and on. And I think what you just see in the book really is that people are people no matter what their upbringing. So you're going to have good people. You're going to have shit people. You're going to have people who are very introspective or who are mindless and just go through life, you know, not second guessing any of their own actions who don't have intense feelings, who are artistic, who aren't artistic, who, and it just, I, I think it, it's just really intriguing seeing that in a, in this very stratified class where uh, it, it really only treats of, of the, the higher class, the upper echelons. So we don't actually have really any reference to the people who are even below a certain standard. Like there, there, there isn't, it's, it's solely looking at that, the total, the class interactions between the the high class. So it doesn't really even treat of people who were say from a lower class and then bred were bred into the, an upper one or whatnot. It was, it was solely dictated on, on these people. And you could just see from them like, okay, these are just people. These are just people. But it did get me thinking, what role does, does social class play in my own life? And I suppose of, of others in and nowadays, I live in Brisbane. I live in a, you know, a modic, a medium sized city, a, a large, but medium sized city as well. In, in when you compare it to the world, there's rich people in my city for sure. But I personally just don't see, I guess, those, that sort of interaction, that sort of community in, in my own, um, you know, place of birth and where I live. And this could just be because I'm not observing it. Maybe I need to go more out into the city or certain locations. And, you know, there I would find like, oh, no, you can't enter. You can't in enter into here, Mr. Down, because your, uh, you, you know, your family connections aren't good enough. You're not wealthy enough, things like that. So maybe uh, I'm, I'm just being a little bit oblivious to it. And I'm certain there are neighborhoods. There are places where rich people congregate and people of the, you know, the higher class congregate. But I, I personally just don't see it much in my day-to-day -day life. And I can't say I've ever been particularly influenced or snobbed in a way by someone from a higher class or, or even a, a lower class. And I, I suppose like I would see more of the lower class just from where my, my family is from, it, uh, where I grew up. It has a reputation for being Bogans, Logan Bogan. But I, I don't particularly feel that as well and uh you know i certainly hope i don't treat people differently based on on their class you know i might do it based on their actions and the way they speak and interact with people if i see you know a, a lady you know smacking her kids or yelling at her kids and being a very emotional sort of uh not not un unthinking sort of person Yes, I'm going to treat them differently and I'm probably not going to be that impressed by it. But is that a reflection of social class or is that a reflection of their own actions in the world? And, and I guess, well, okay, does, does that social class where they come up from, how much of an influence does that have versus how, like what's the influence of that versus the influence of their parents or the influence of their friends? So it's just interesting thinking about these sorts of things and 
you know, I personally don't see it and I would love some feedback if there actually is a, you know, an upper class in Brisbane, the socialites or whatever scene. I'm, I'm sure there probably is some, but it's definitely not something that I think plays a big role in my life and would even influence my life at all. So that, uh, talking about that, um, I mentioned just before about duty and obligation and mixing that with love. So we see that Newland has a really almost platonic relationship with May. It's quite funny in the book, like reading it, she comes across as a really genuinely great partner. She's, yeah, well-bred. She's pretty. She's, uh, you know, she's thoughtful in some ways and intelligent in some ways, but also you get this underlying negative feeling from her from Archer, which is that she can't think for herself. Everything she does is dictated by the social rules and interactions that her family has sort of grown her up with and she's learned and she can't even conceptualize going outside of these social norms and, you know, she's meant to only vacation with her parents on to this certain place. And so when Archer is pushing to um, go to somewhere else, Newland Archer, she says like, oh no, like we can't really do that. And we need to think about what my family would say and things like that. So it's just funny seeing how, you know, someone who does seem like a really good person and almost like a perfect match for him, he he rejects based on this one, basically like one point, which is that she is almost like an automaton. She doesn't have that inner personality, that vibrancy that Ellen does, the her, her cousin. And so he he goes into a certain mode where he's just falling in love with Ellen, getting further and further, deeper into this love of her. And I guess it, it got me thinking, would Newland have had a more meaningful life with Ellen, a better life, a more joyful life? And, you know, giving it some thought, I really don't think he would have. I think as he, if he had gone with her and sort of eloped to Japan, as he was suggesting, or just escaped away with her, forgetting all the social interactions, forgetting all these things. She who is older than him and has sort of experienced this before once has was basically saying like, look, just because this happens, we're, we're still going to have the same problems. Like you're still going to feel it and we're going to, there's no necessary just, it's like, it's like love not, isn't just the only thing in life. You do actually have to think of these obligations and where is money going to come from? What are you going to do if your family cuts you off? And you can see that she she thinks about this a lot and she is the one almost driving the relationship from not doing that because at certain points he is prepared to give 100%. But Ellen will cool off or move away or take a decision to actually um, go back to her her abusive husband um, that she previously has had to not go through with the divorce. And you can just see that I think she's a little bit more grounded in, in, in life and she understands that just because you're in love with someone and feel this intense love, it doesn't mean that your life is going to be better because of that and following that. So it got me questioning my own balance between following passions and duty as well. This is something we talk about a lot here on Mere Mortals about following your passion and and making something from it. If you're unsatisfied with your work, with your relationships, with whatever it is, you know, I, I would say a strong underlying theme that comes from both myself and Juan is that you should follow your passions. 
And while I agree with that, it did get me thinking, you know what, I'm, I probably need to backtrack a little bit with that because what has allowed me to follow my passions now, which is, you know, the podcasting, doing book reviews, interviewing people, what allows me to be in that position was that I grinded away for three years in a job I didn't particularly love. I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it either. And, you know, I put in the hard work, I put in time and I saved up money and I intentionally don't spend that much money in other places, which has allowed me the freedom now to actually go after my passion. So I can't just recommend to everyone, you know, just go and do that. And if people were coming to asking me for advice, I probably would be saying like, look, there's, there is benefits to be gained by, you know, maybe just putting that to the side, maybe that being your passion being that just that little hobby that you have that you do in your free time that you can, you can spend whenever you have the time spare to, to free for it, go after it, but don't just fully dive into it without thinking of the consequences of money, of family obligations, of your own position in life and who depends on you and, and all sorts of things like that. So this book was just a good uh, reminder of that, that I shouldn't just be saying things like that. I should also temper that with the the other side of the coin, which is sometimes you have to do shit you don't want to do. And you know what? That's actually life. And that's life for a lot of people as well. The, the final one was just, is intense love sustainable? Can you keep up with that fire, that energy, that immense desire and it's a, it's a tricky one because love is, I feel, a really undefined term and I, I dislike using it myself because I think it means so many different things to so many different people that it's almost, it makes it tricky to talk about it and it can get confused with lust quite often as well, I think. So, it just got me thinking like, was, was the relationship that Newland had with with Ellen was that sustainable or was that heightened because there was such a distance between them in the book he he really only sees her maybe six or seven times intimately as in on their own together and he's created this full thing in his head of just how much he loves her how life would be perfect with her if he escaped how I suppose not not much of the book and this is actually a good point that I'm just just coming came to my head right now most of the book he spends complaining or judging his relationship with May in a negative light and not particularly saying how being with Ellen would actually make things so much better. So, just because you're sort of discontented in one way, Joss doesn't mean that because you have a glimmer of hope somewhere else, that's going to be the thing that makes your life intensely beautiful and that's what's going to make it all better. And you can see he, he goes through sort of like three months, years without seeing Ellen, without even seeing her, without communicating with her. And yet this desire, this, this love that he has for her is still so intense. And I question whether that actually is true or whether he has almost deluded himself, thought himself into thinking something that really isn't true, that he hasn't thought through enough, that you know, what would be the intricate details of eloping with this uh, with this other woman, getting cut off with his family, and then three years down the track when he has no money, he's never worked really hard in his life, and he's realizing, oh, I've got two kids and a third on the way, how am I going to support them? I don't think he's really thought about that. So, it, um, 
yeah, that just finding that balance between duty and love and would Newland have had a more meaningful life with Ellen? I I personally don't think so. I think he, even though involu- almost involuntarily, he, he stuck with the path which while not the most satis- satisfying in the sh- in the short term, potentially was the most satisfying in the long term. So just something to think about there. Which gets onto my own personal observations. So number one is just the rapidly changing norms. So in in this epoch, this era, divorce was still a hugely frowned upon thing. You don't divorce someone, you know, it was probably like the divorce rate was 5%, 2%, something like that. And the implications of divorcing someone were huge for widows, for, um, you know, th- those those people, the women who had initiated a divorce were seen as, I, I guess, like morally questionable. There was there was something about them that you you wouldn't want to um, associate with, and this ties into the whole class thing as well. Maybe it was you know related to okay, only the the lower class divorce because it's sort of like that almost means that you made a mistake, and we're you know the high and tidy, the rich and mighty, we don't make mistakes. Who knows? Who knows? But it was interesting seeing that, and you know, divorce is just so acceptable nowadays that. It, it just makes me wonder, okay, what other norms that are unacceptable now will change in 10, 15 years and how will I personally associate with them? And yeah, just a fun little thing to think about. I enjoy the book more when I identify with the character as well. I definitely saw large parts of my own personality in Newland Archer, his his sort of thinking, his obvious handsomeness and well-breadness. <laughs> But no, in in all seriousness, uh, there was there was more aspects of him that I associated with, which was really funny and made the the book so much more enjoyable because uh, my previous book review, which I did on Sons and Lovers by D. H. Lawrence, treats of very similar things. It's got a, a love triangle in it. The main character, um, you know, has to decide between the more passionate but sort of unloving one this other person and then there's this family obligations with his mother comes into the picture. It ties in quite quite nicely with this book in terms of the themes and the age that it's set in and I guess like the overall subject matter. But I really just found Sons and Lovers quite boring, but this book captured my attention. Um, the Age of Innocence, I found much more enjoyable. I actually was intrigued by it. I was I was enjoying it. And yeah, it just got me thinking. It was, I think it was mostly because I identified with the character more. Newland Archer, I, I just saw lots of myself in him. Whereas with uh, Paul Morrill in The Sons and Lovers, I just didn't feel that connection. I didn't understand why he, saw, he thought the things he did and why he acted the way he did. My last little comment here, and this is a, a fun one, is if I ever do commentary on dramas on social topics that are sort of like insightful and just full of drama, especially of famous people or anything like that. I want you to remember this moment and never listen to me again because it's just, I find that just so useless that uh, if I have ever converted the channel into something like that, where it's me talking about, you know, what Nicki Minaj is doing, um, who the Kardashians are keeping up with nowadays uh, if I do talk about that, I, I 
I would strongly suggest that I've gone down a seriously wrong route and um, it's really not worth listening to me. So there you go. That's a little uh, recommendation, a, a pledge from Kyron. Don't listen to me if I do that. So in summary, the book was surprisingly enjoyable. I really didn't think I would enjoy it as much as I did. So I'm giving it a solid six and a half out of 10, The Age of Innocence by Edith Warden. What's something pragmatic I'm going to take from it? Well, I think I'm going to spend a little bit of time observing if social class actually dictates my actions in in the day-to-day life. Do I try to treat people differently based on whether I know they're from a certain area, certain class, a certain whatever it is? And I think it would just be interesting keeping my eye out on that for a little bit and see because maybe I could just get my eyes open and be like, oh, wow, Kyron, you're actually... um, speaking with people a lot differently based on that or you're treating people differently and I I don't I think it would be better for the world in general if I didn't do that so if I am it's probably something I need to change and that's it that's it that's another book review done and dusted so I hope you enjoyed this I would recommend checking out some of Juan's book reviews as well he's starting to put a bit out more and he's he's following a similar format to me so if you like my reviews you'll probably like his other than that You'll just notice a running theme between what I think about in here and what I talk about on the podcast as well. So if you enjoy, I guess, my style of analyzing things, you probably would get some benefit from checking out the podcast. You can do that on YouTube or wherever you find podcasts under the Mere Mortals brand. You're already listening to this, so you'd probably find it. You already know where we're at. So that's it for today. I yeah, like the video if you if you enjoyed it and give me any commentary if you feel like it. If not, that's also totally cool. I'm leaving it there. Karen out.